together tonight, people, and uh, we're a people gathered, God's people gathered uh, to praise God tonight. And every one of us walks in here, if you put your trust in Jesus, we've come together to praise God. And this is what God is actually on about. He's on about um, bringing, making a people for himself. We call that the church. And he's making a people for himself that will live to praise his name, that will love him and that will love the other people in this uh, community of faith that he's making. So welcome tonight. Welcome tonight, especially if you love praising Jesus. And if you're just here checking out um, you know, Christianity and checking out who Jesus is, and we welcome you as well. And we hope that you have a, a good night tonight and, and listening to, uh, listening about this Jesus, about, about God and the relationship you can have with him. If you're just here, uh, if you just moved to the area, a special warm welcome to you as well. We just hope you feel uh, really warmly welcomed and you meet some great people by the end of tonight. Uh, there's just a couple of things I want to let you know about. The first is uh, we're in the middle, or I think it's number three tonight, in our series on 1 John. And we've called it the Fellowship of the King. Uh, what it means to be in fellowship with God, the King, and the outworking that can have, or that should have, in your life um, with other believers, with those outside uh, faith, and um, you know, just how you live and your, how your character should change. So it's a great series, and uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, for those of you who've um, already kind of been to a few of these um, messages and you've heard them. Um, in your bulletin, there's stacks of stuff going on, uh, what you got when you came in. There's just a couple of things I want to let you know about. Uh, the, there's a Golf Ambrose Day, which is um, on the 31st. That's not this um, Saturday coming, but it's a following Saturday. Um, it's going to be great. It's just for men. Isn't that good? Men playing golf. Some women don't get it. It's a bit irrelevant hitting this white ball around, but if you're a man, then I'd encourage you to get along to that on the 31st. The details are in your um, bulletin, and yet you want to speak to Aaron Kennedy at the end of the service. It's 15 bucks. On the same day, there's also an impact event, which is kind of for those age uh, 27 and above. It's a bummer they've clashed, but they're going to be both great events. Choose wisely. Um, and it's the Amazing Race versus Iron Chef. So interesting. So you're going to do the Amazing Race, and you're going to finish off with this mad barbecuing kind of frenzy and eat some tasty food as well. So um, two Saturdays time, 31st, get along to either of those events. They're both going to be fantastic. Um, also on the front of your bulletin, there's a, a Wacom information night, uh, and that's basically worship and creative arts ministry. And if you've got any of those gifts on the front cover of the bulletin there, you know, or you want to kind of dabble a bit um, in whatever area, then just sign up. There's a list out in the foyer, a sign up there, and also with what you might be interested in checking out. Now, there's someone in here tonight who's especially bald, and um, that's not offensive. They've actually done something quite good. Rob Kirk, are you in the house, brother? Where's your hand? Rob, can you put it up? Can you just stand up, mate? Yeah, look at that. Yeah, that's just short hair, but it's not just sort of for no point at all, which is when I got my head shaved, but Rob shaved for a cure, uh, money that goes to the, all the money he raises goes to the Leukemia Foundation and the research that they make uh, toward that, and uh, I know that he would love that if you've got some uh, uh, dollars in your pocket, that at the end of the night, see Robbie and cash him up, because that's a great kind of cause uh, to give to, so at the end of the night, speak to Rob, and um, how much money have you so far raised? $866. That's awesome, mate. Give me a round of applause. Okay. Well, let's pray as we continue on in our service tonight. Father God, we want to say that we love you. Uh, we want to say that we want to uh, praise your name and live for your glory uh, where, when times are good and as well as uh, when times are bad and, and everything in between, God. We want our lives to be the praise of your name. And Father God, tonight we ask that you would really... Um, be speaking to us, Lord. Please um, give us hearts and minds that are really receptive to you tonight. As songs are sung, as uh, your word, the Bible is preached um, out of, Lord, may you give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. We really pray for this, God. We pray that you would do this, Lord, that we might live more for the praise of your name and that many more people might come to know what this relationship with God is, is all about and, and why it's so amazing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, tonight, just uh, for a few moments, could be up to 10 if you're slow, but we are taking, you would have came in, hopefully you would have got a little form that has, uh, like, fill out all your details. Now, this is, 
if this is Wodonga Baptist is your home church and you, you're a regular here and you, or you want to become a regular, then this is for you to fill out now. Um, the details that, you, that will go, that you write out now, will actually go to form the church directory. And then everyone can get a church directory and you can then, uh, you know, contact the people you need to. So handy, so needed in, in our church. So we're going to give you a few moments now uh, to fill that out. And then what we're going to ask you is that when you've done that, uh, at the end of the service, you can hand them in into the blue uh, offering buckets. But we'll give you some moments now. Please fill it in. And um, yeah, that'd be great. Well, it's just great being part of this great church, isn't it? All the different people serving each other and different people using their gifts and just to be one part of a great team of people is a real privilege, isn't it? And uh, I'm just getting blessed sitting back there and uh, observing and being part of what God's doing tonight. So why don't you take out your uh, weapons, your sword, uh, your Bible, and let's turn to uh, 1 John. And we're just continuing on through the book of John. You know, the, the Bible says that the Word of God is uh, active and able to uh, separate joints and marrows and right to the heart. It's a sharp two-edged sword. And as we look at that tonight, as followers of Christ who want to live according to his word, it's great that we go to his word regularly, every day, and that we take it up upon ourselves and live um, every word. So let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15 to 27 tonight as we continue the series Fellowship uh, with the King. It starts off in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Tonight we're talking together about trust about standing firm in God's word standing firm as his followers do you know um, 
there are times, horrible times, when you hear about stories where people have thought that someone was their friend and have found out that they turned out to be their enemy. I heard recently of uh, some people in Geelong, um, some women who would just knock on elderly people's doors and say, hello, we just need to use the phone. And uh, older people would let them in and they would come in and while one was talking, they would rob the money uh, from the elderly folk and leave, uh, leaving them penniless. They were doing it systematically and there's warnings out on the news um, not so long ago about this group of people. And so people unsuspectingly let some lovely women into their home and before long these people that they were helping uh, took from them. I'll never forget seeing images um, a number of years ago now of, uh, w- w- of the security cameras um, in England in a shopping mall. A young boy had gone missing and they looked and they looked through the security cameras and they found that there were two older boys leading this young boy out of the shopping mall and his badly beaten and dead body was found not so far away. These two other boys had beaten to death a younger boy and the, and the, and the, the photos from the camera were so disturbing because they were walking holding hands out of the supermarket, out of the mall. Uh, And it's just so uh, sad to think that someone that he was walking with and trusting and holding hands, these boys were about to kill him. You know, it reminds me of the ways in which um, Eskimos kill uh, wolves. Uh, It's incredible and it's grisly the way they do it. But first the Eskimo coats uh, the knife of his blade with animal's blood and allows it to freeze. So puts the, the, the blood onto the uh, blade and allows it to freeze. And then he adds another layer of blood and another layer until the, the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. And next, the, the, the hunter fixes the knife in the ground with the blade up. And when the wolf follows its sensitive kind of nose and to the source of the scent, and it discovers the bait and begins to lick it, and it starts tasting the, the fresh frozen blood. And he begins to lick faster and more vigorously and harder, lapping at the blade until the keen edge is, is bare. Now, feverishly, the wolf starts to lick harder in the, in the cold, frosty night. And it becomes so uh, obsessed with licking at this knife that it starts to lick its own blood and eat and, and, and lick and take in its own blood as its tongue gets cut by the blade. It doesn't recognise what is the animal's blood and which is its own, but its insatiable thirst is being satisfied by its own warm blood until it finally drops dead and its body is found the next morning, lying dead in the snow. Sometimes the, the very things that we love can lead us to death. And that's why the writer of 1 John, John starts this passage and he says to the people that he loves, he says, do not love the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. You know, the meaning of this phrase is written so it's in the present tense, which means that it goes, it means don't keep on loving the world. Don't, don't love the world in an ongoing way. In other words, don't. Don't continually love this world. And the kind of love is different love to what's mentioned earlier in uh, 1 John 2.10 where he wrote, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. It's a different kind of love. There the love is focused on the well-being of another, loving your brother, uh, looking for their benefit. Whereas here in this verse, the love is kind of focused on the pleasure and gratification and uh, the things that one hopes to receive from what they're loving. Do not love the world. Do not desire or take delight in the world. And you might think, hang on, didn't Phil just say, uh, John 3.16 says, for God so loves the world? What about here? Now it's saying, uh, you know, 
if, if, if that we're not to love the world. Well, if Jesus said we should, shouldn't we love the world? Well, you know, it's a different, complete different use of the word world. When Jesus was using the, the, the word the world, saying, uh, for God so loved the world, he was meaning the people of the world, the things that he had created, the, the people of the world. Um, Jesus loves the world. God loves the world and his creation and he wants us to love the world, the people in this world. But the way John was using the word here, world was completely different. He was referring to the worldly attitudes or values that are opposed to God. Viewed as people, the world must be loved. Uh, Viewed as an evil system, organised under the dominion of Satan and not of God. We are not to love the world. Well, why? Well, John goes on and he says, because if anyone loves the world, the Father is not in him. John is saying that if we love the world in an ongoing way, then the love for God, our Father, is not in us. Love for the world and love for the Father are mutually exclusive. They don't go together. If a person is engrossed in the outlook and the pursuits of the world, which rejects Christ and has no place for him, then it is evident that he has uh, no love for the Father. Uh, James 4.4 shows that the two clearly don't go together. Uh, It says in James 4.4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? James is using the same term, world, meaning uh, all the sinfulness and the the way in which it's organised under uh, Satan. And Jesus in Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. There's just no two ways about it. You can't serve them both. Because either what's going to happen is you're going to hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. And John just starts here and he says, no, no, the two don't go together. There's no compatibility. You can't love the world and love the Father. Then John clearly explains in this passage to his readers why love for the world and love for Christ are incompatible. He does this here by now explaining to us the things which make up the world. He describes them clearly for us. And he says in verse 16, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. There's three elements that he mentions here that make up the world. The first, the cravings of sinful man. This phrase, uh, cravings, uh, literally reads the desires of the flesh. The, the desires of the flesh. And what they are is, is sinful things that our bodies desire. And you can have a guess what these things might be. I think they're things like sexual acts outside of marriage or selfishly demanded sexual acts within marriage. Uh, kind of like drunkenness, uh, where our, our bodies are desiring something that is, not, uh, that is against God's teachings. Drug abuse. Uh, everything, uh, eating too much of something, just devouring ourselves on things. Uh, you, you can just keep thinking of them on and on and on. The cravings of sinful man, the desires of the flesh. Second thing he says that the, the, the world, uh, the make up things in the world is the lust of the eyes. And that is the sinful cravings which are activated by uh, the things that people see, by what we see with our eyes. And, you know, um, when we look at things and that leads us to wanting something or desiring something that we're not to have, that's against God's desires, then that is the lust of the eyes. And, you know, I, I just think there are some real obvious ones. I mean, you put on the TV and I've got to tell you, The TV does not have as one of its goals to make you more like Christ. You can just underline that. 
It's not trying to help you come to know Christ more. It's, it's, it's part of what the world is on about. And so you don't sit down there expecting to be brought closer to Christ. Now, I'm not saying don't watch TV. All I'm saying is be selective about what you watch. Be ruthless in it because you can find your eyes just landing on things that are completely opposed. They don't come from the Father. They come from the world and they're not wanting to help you move closer to him. So be careful about what you watch. Uh, There are so many things that we see with our eyes that can tempt us or entice us. And they're screaming out saying, you need this. You must have this now. You must. You can't do without this. You know, f- exciting ads, people uh, dressing up in ways that make us feel like, wow, we've got to be like that person. There are so many things that our eyes have. And then he says in the boasting of what he has and does. You know, here this is talking about a person's pride and possessions, about the property that they own, about the things that they have achieved, about the things that they possess. And the writer is saying about these three things, all of these things come not from the Father. They come from the world. Clearly the logic goes like this. If you love those things that are completely opposed to the Father, then the two don't ever meet. If you love the things of the world, then you don't love the Father. It's just as obvious as that. And, you know, this is a call from John, and it's to you and I today, tonight in this church, right now. God, God's just speaking to all of us and saying, my children, live a holy life. Live a holy life. Don't have anything to do with the world and its, its, its sinfulness. Run from it. Live a holy life. The kind of life that Phil was talking about last week, you know, about confessing our sins, you know, constantly coming before God and asking his forgiveness. You know, Phil also mentioned in that passage last week about uh, being obedient in the way we, we live our lives, obeying God's word and his truth. And then he talked about also being those that how we can demonstrate that clearly is just through love and genuinely loving one another. Oh, be those kind of people. Be those kind of people. Live a holy life. John's just you know, writing out to the people and he's saying do that. And, and then John takes the logic a bit further and he says, besides, there's really no point in loving the world. There really is no point because... Verse 17, he says, the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. The world is passing away. The evil desires, the the sinfulness of people, the the structures that are organised around this world, trying to take us away from following Christ, all the systems and things that are in place uh, that are not Christ-centred are decaying. They're passing away. They're like a flower that is fading quickly, that's rapidly, that might look attractive, that might be something that we think is our friend and we hold, we're tempted to hold hands with it. It might look like something that tastes nice, like the blood on the knife, but it's fading away, John says. It's not going to take you where you hope it will. And it says, in the other hand, while that's fading away, there's a new kind of kingdom that is at work. Those who have fellowship with the king. It's the kingdom of God. And those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and who do the will of God will live forever. Forever. Those who put their trust in Jesus now have already received the promise of eternal life. One moment you pass from this life to the next. Death is just a doorway into eternal life with God. 
the logic here, it, it just finds me answering John saying, yes, I, I want to live a holy life. If that's how clear it is that, that loving the world leads down this road that's passing away and leading to decay and going this way is eternal life with God forever, forever. Oh, I want that. I want that. I want to live that holy life. That's why uh, Paul called us in 2 Corinthians 4.18 to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen, Paul writes, is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. You know, when what we see often appears so permanent, doesn't it? Wealthy people flaunting their possessions, saying, aren't I great? Look at all that I have. Got more than you. And you feel so inadequate often. Sometimes, you know, people come and they say, hey, we're sexually immoral. They don't say that, do they? But hey, babe, they say. <laughs> they come and say, come on, everybody's doing it. You know, come on, who cares? And it looks so permanent. But the truth is, don't you believe it for one minute? It's trying to lead you to a road that leads to death, that passes away. Uh, remember, when those times come, that those who do the will of God live for how long? Forever. Forever. It's great, great news. So John continues on now after saying, don't love the world. He, he kind of says in this next passage, you know, Look out for liars then. Look out for liars that are among you or have gone out from you. And he says there's a big difference between liars or deceivers or antichrist people and believers. And look out for them. Be aware. Because there are people that will try and grab you by the hand and take you away from God's will. There are people that will try and get you licking fake blood and before long you'll be left dead. So be careful. Be aware of them. Get ready. So he writes in verse 18, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Uh, in this passage, John now wants to show us the difference between those who are people who are deceivers and liars and antichrists are between those who are genuine believers. And John really loves the, the people that he's writing to, the churches that he's writing to, the people in them, because he writes affectionately here, dear children. And it's kind of a, a term of endearment. My dear children, he's saying. It was also showing that John is a mature, much more mature than them in their faith. He's been following Jesus for longer. He's been a follower. And he says, dear children. Then he reminds them of the time in which they live. He says, this is the last hour. You know, this is the only place in the New Testament that the term, this is the last hour, is used. But in many other places through the New Testament, there are different uh, phrases that have a similar meaning. Uh, often we see the, the phrase, in the last days or in the last times. And there's no doubt uh, that the biblical writers believed they were actually in the last days. Paul, for instance, writes in Romans 13, 11, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come and, and uh, for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And Paul believed that he was living in the last time and that the return of Christ could come at any moment. Other biblical writers felt the same way. And because of this, many people have come to the conclusion that the biblical writers were really wrong since Jesus uh, has, has not yet returned. And some of it have assumed that we're not really living in the last time. But, you know, the, the truth is uh, this kind of thought comes from an incorrect understanding of the last times. You see, the correct view is that the last days began with Jesus, Jesus' first coming inaugurated a, a, a phase in history which will culminate in the second coming of Christ. 
And this whole period is known as the last days. And during this time, we're going to move progressively toward a point in history when Jesus will call all things to a close and events will accelerate toward that point. And there are signs and markers along the way that we're to look for that are to indicate that we're proceeding on a course towards the ultimate end of things on earth as we know it. Jesus himself uh, gave us certain uh, signs of the times. And Jesus told his disciples about the end times and in, in a kind of discourse called the Olivetti Discourse. And uh, that's found and recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And uh, listen to some of the things that he says. Jesus mentions wars and rumours of wars in Mark 13.7. He indicates that nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. Uh, It's Mark 13 verse 8. But even though there will be this kind of global turmoil, uh, these things um, are not signals that the end has arrived yet. They're signs, but they're kind of um, signs of the sick and decaying society in, in which the world is living. And Jesus says they're the, the beginning of the birth pains, Mark 13, verse 8. And like a woman in labour, the first pains are only the signal of the beginning of the process. And, and so w- when we see events described by Jesus beginning to take place with increasing frequency, we know the countdown has started. And we just don't know how long it's going to be before the end. But, you know, a couple of things. We should be alert. The Bible always says be ready because the Son of Man is going to come like a thief in the night. And just when we won't expect it, he's going to come. So be alert. Be ready. But the other thing to think of too is it's, you know, uh, a couple of thousand years since Jesus came. And so it could be any moment that he comes but we've been waiting for 2,000 years. So be careful before you go making some dates, you know, or saying it's going to be this year and it's going to be this month or all that. The Bible warns about trying to speculate on those things. But the one piece of advice I'd give you is to be ready because he's coming. He's coming. Could be any time. Could be any time. So here, uh, John... um, Jesus, in in his Olivetti Discourse focuses on another sign of Jesus' coming. And it's the sign that John speaks of here in the passage that we're looking at tonight. Jesus indicates in the last days, he says, many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. That's Mark 13, 6. He goes on to say, false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible, Mark adds. Mark 13, 22. What, what Jesus is referring to here is what John is, is talking about, antichrists. And one of the signs of the end times is the appearance of antichrists. And John writes that, and as you have heard, this is verse 18, that the antichrist is coming Even now, many antichrists have come. And this is how we know that it is the last hour. He points to the fact that there's so many antichrists that are around that it's the last hour. And these antichrists seem to have, uh, as the Bible talks about them, as their prime function is to deceive people. The term antichrist uh, can be used... Um, in the Bible to refer to an actual figure. You know, in the end times, uh, we're to look for a person who's the Antichrist, someone who's an actual figure um, who will appear right at the very end. And then we're also to look for lesser Antichrist figures whose influence was already being felt at the time when John was writing this letter. Uh, He was already experiencing them being around. And, And it seems that the Antichrists in 1 John and two, John, are unique to other antichrists that are mentioned in the other passages in that they came from out of the church. They were people that were once 
in the church and are no longer in the church. All the other time when the New Testament seems to uh, talk about these antichrist figures, they come from without, outside the church and they attack the church from without. But these are people that have been from within the church. These people were divisive, they were dis- dis- disruptive, and they were trying to deceive people. Uh, we've got to be a little bit careful uh, when we start thinking about antichrists and start naming who we think they might be. you just got to be a little bit careful when you're doing that because, you know, Christian communities are so quick to judge and we're so quick to, to you know, name someone as this kind of person or that kind of person. So when we're thinking about antichrist, humility is needed. And real carefulness and discernment is needed, Um, especially when there are so many different ways in which different Christians differ. Uh, You know, some are are real keen on this element of theology and others really are passionate about this. Does that mean they're antichrists? No, I don't think so. I've heard people trying to explain to me that, you know, one particular church or one particular program or book, you know, or uh, one particular course is of, uh, is of uh, something of deception. And I just think it's bizarre. I think, you know, uh, okay, if someone thinks a little bit differently from you or has a different, uh, opera, uh, you know, way of doing ministry or a different even theology in some uh, non-essential areas, then, you know... Uh, I think that's kind of healthy in some way, isn't it? I mean, if my kids all were the same as me, it would be a boring place in our family of different emphasis. So be careful. But when it comes to seeing who these antichrists are, John writes in verse 22 and 23 that the antichrists are easily identifiable. He writes there in verse 22, who is the liar? The man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And it seems that the churches John was writing to In there, there were people who were denying that Jesus was the Son of God. And and here's what they were saying. They seemed to be suggesting that as well as the gospel, which was preached to them, to the people, that they needed to have some extra secret knowledge, you know, some some kind of be in the know about some secret things that they didn't quite hear when they first heard the gospel. And the way, of course, you got to hear about this extra secret knowledge that people needed was the people who were already enlightened would share that with you, kind of in this secretive way. And uh, this is called, you know, kind of Gnostic teaching. And this was the early beginnings of it. They, they also denied that, that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And they claimed that the divine Christ joined Jesus, the human, while he was on earth after his baptism and left him just before the crucifixion. So they kind of denied the deity of Christ, that he was God in the flesh, fully man, fully human. And they tried to cause divisions and confusion in the churches. And John wants the believers to be able to recognise them. He wants them to know. So he just clearly says in those two verses who they are. They're they're people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. And I've got to tell you, there are a lot of Antichrists around today. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that we heard in the uh, news that they've uh, found the the body of Jesus and, uh, you know, all this proof that it's happened. You know, there are other people that... uh, I've met that have claimed to be their own God and uh, they deny that Christ was actually the Son of God. In fact, they themselves believe that they are God. Uh, When I was younger, I was going out with a girl uh, called Louise and her mum 
was, <laughs> is Louise here tonight? No. Uh, but, but what happened is her mum was into the new age. And she, as I just loved dialoguing with her because I just found it incredible and, uh, you know, I wanted to share with her about Christ. But the more and more I talked with her, the more she had no concept of sin. It was just bad karma and good karma. And, in fact, it's good to experience as much as you like in life because that all helps. And when we talked about the fact that uh, Christ was the Son of God and it's only through him that you can have a relationship with God, it became clear that she believed she herself was a God. Now, there are people all around that will make fun of your faith and undermine it and say that, no, there are other ways to God except through Jesus Christ. There are other alternatives. There are many um, different religions or faiths that would declare that they are right while denying uh, that, that Jesus is the Son of God. John says, steer clear. They're liars and the antichrists have nothing to do with them. John explains that these antichrists in verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. It seems that they were once members of the, the faith community, but they left. And John says, for if they be had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, John explains that the fact that they left shows that they've never really been true members of the Christian community. Uh, here, John looks at their lives and he says the fact that they didn't continue on, that they didn't persevere in the faith, shows that they weren't believers in the first place. You know, this is one of the enduring ways in which we can tell who are followers of Christ, who are believers. And one of the clear ways is that they persevere. They don't give up. They keep following Christ. You know, they, they keep trusting in him. Uh, one, uh, that's, that's the first thing in, in this passage, in this, these verses, that I think the writer's wanting us to see, that those who persevere and continue to follow in the faith that they believed in the first place are those that are true followers. And those that don't aren't followers of Christ. Then the second thing I think this shows is that there is a church visible and a church invisible. So tonight we gather and we look around and we can lock eyes with each other and say, this is the church. But the truth is that there may be some of you that have began the journey and yet not really come to know who Christ is. Perhaps there are some that are, are still checking it out and might not ever give your lives to Christ and become his followers. And so here he's saying there were people that were among us. There were those that... Uh, belonged to us, but the fact that they left showed that they really didn't belong to us in the first place. Uh, that's a challenge to persevere, isn't it? Because your perseverance just puts the whole thing to rest, doesn't it? Keep following. Keep following if it's hard. Keep following if it's challenging. Keep following if it's different, difficult. Because your perseverance over time and years shows that your faith is genuine. Your faith is genuine. So how do, you, how do you really know then? It's a bit scary. How do you really know that you really do belong to Christ? Well, in verse 20, John just wants to clear that because the whole point that he's writing this thing is to, to give them hope and a surety of, of the fact that they are followers of Christ and that they don't need to worry about these other people that are trying to drag them away and move them, move them off and cause division. So in verse 20, he says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. John, John writes here to arm them against the deception of those that are causing division, and he's reminding them that they have an outstanding resource. They have an anointing from the Holy One. And this anointing is an anointing that's been given to them by God 
and God gives it to them through the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there were people that were anointed with the Spirit of God to, to fight battles or to, or to prophesy or to do and the Holy Spirit came upon them and then uh, left them. But in the New Testament, when Christ had died on the cross and risen again and at Pentecost, uh, what happened from then on was people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who believed in the gospel that was preached to them. When they put their trust in Christ, God anointed them with the Holy Spirit and he came into their lives. And, Paul, uh, and John is saying here, God has given you his Holy Spirit. He's anointed you when you first believed in Jesus Christ and that helps to confirm that you are one of his. You know the truth. You belong to him. Now, I want to say to you, if you're thinking, am I one of those that are uh, you know, part of the ones that are, going to, are a genuine believer, I just want to say, do you know God? Do you know his Holy Spirit? Can you recall a time where God has been making his truth known to you and prompting you and speaking to you? Do you know that when you put your trust in him, he, his, the word promises that he comes into you, uh, into your life. The Holy Spirit fills you and indwells you. Well, take that by faith. Believe it. Now, I know for me there are times when it was a rational thing. It, it, sometimes there are still times when, you know, uh, I don't always feel the Holy Spirit's overwhelming presence just flooding my life. But I look back and know that God has spoken to me so clearly through his Holy Spirit so many times that it's beyond doubt that I belong to him. What about you? When you put your trust in Christ, his spirit came into your life. He speaks, he prompts, he convicts you, he leads you into his truth so you understand his word and know him. That's a great guarantee that you belong to him. That is a wonderful guarantee. And the second thing that, that, that he says here is, I write these things to you in verse 21. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie comes from you. What was the truth that they received? The, the, the gospel, the true gospel. They received the gospel when it was preached to them and they responded to it and they put their faith in God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was given to them when they believed and now there was no need for them to listen to any extra teaching about how they should be saved, about the gospel. They didn't have to have anything added to it like these antichrists were trying to do, saying you need this extra special knowledge or you, know, you need to just believe this other thing about Christ or you need to know this extra. And, and, and John's just saying, no, no, no. You've got the anointing of God's Holy Spirit and he's the, a great resource for you and you know it all already. You know the truth of the gospel. Don't listen for other more things. No. In verse 24, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, John urges. Just hang on to the gospel that you first heard. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised you. Eternal life is waiting for you. Eternal life is yours if you keep on hanging on to that gospel and, and trusting in his Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, John just makes it so plain now in verse 26. This is the whole reason I'm writing to you. I'm writing these things to you uh, about those who are trying to lead you astray. That's why I'm writing. And as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, Remain in him. Now, you know, a lot of people say, oh, oh, isn't that great? Got the anointing. Don't need any teaching. That's fine. But I think the context of this is saying there were people that were teaching disruptive, 
other things that were adding to the gospel. And I think what this passage is saying is you, you don't need any more teaching. You've got to think the fact that John's actually writing these letters, he's teaching them already. So he's not saying you don't need to have any teaching because he's teaching them in writing about it. But what he's saying is you don't need any more teaching about how to be saved, about how to know Jesus, about the gospel. You already have the full gospel. You already know it all. Know it all. You don't need anyone to teach you. And in fact, the anointing that you have confirms that you know the gospel and that you belong to him. The spirit at work in you is real. It's not counterfeit. You're not making it up. You're not pretending. God is at work in your life and he's confirming that you are one of his. And eternal life is awaiting you. And his spirit is at work in you right now. That is great news. You're holding hands with the king. He's leading you to eternity. He's taking you into all the fullness of life that he has in store for you. Paul writes, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God's got in store for those who love him. Children, John would say, this is all waiting for you. You can have fellowship with the king. You have it. Trust in it. Don't get thrown by all these people trying to push you off. Hang on to what you've got and grab hold of it and remain in him. Church, don't love the world. Don't do it. Love the Father. Church, remember that the presence the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life, it continually guiding you and speaking to you and teaching you and leading you is clear evidence that you belong to him. Hang on to that. Church, the fact that you have heard and understood the gospel and it's been preached to you clearly means that you don't have to worry when other people try and push you off. Remain in the gospel that can only come, the new life that can only come through trusting in Jesus Christ. You are his children. You have fellowship with the king. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We belong to you. And God, nothing can shake us Nothing can stop us. No false teaching is going to push us off track. We're your children. We're your church. We're your people. God, we just want to stand tonight firmly on the fact that your spirit is at work in our lives. And we have this great deposit of your spirit in us, not through anything that we've done, but through trusting in you, Lord Jesus. In the face of uh, people trying to push us off or distort the truth or say we need something else and that we haven't got enough. We just want to say, Jesus, we're trusting in you. We're your children. Nothing will shake us. God, help us to grow and continue to remain in these truths for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.